2: Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
0: Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. For the one standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickrangercom slash safety or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done. I it's
3: Film study once again for Sunday, August 11th, as we're going to look back at preseason week one. And this time we're going to take a look at the offense. Lots of talk about Lamar Jackson, Miles Boykin, and some other guys. Ken McKusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I love this uh, rotating of uh, co-hosts that we're adding to the show each week. That's been a lot of fun. And we've got Ivan Evans with us tonight who you may be familiar with his YouTube videos. You may not. Uh, either way, we're really excited to have Ivan join us tonight. Ivan,
4: how are yeah. you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm glad to be here.
5: Ivan joined us for the Ben Powers panel discussion a couple months ago. That really went well, and uh, Ivan had great insights. we were very lucky to have four people with very different ways to look at offensive line play and really mm-hmm. appreciate Coach Evans' viewpoint.
4: I'm glad to be here. I love talking old line play. just love talking uh, football, period.
5: All right. We're going to have lots to talk
4: about on the O-line
5: in particular this uh, this episode. Uh, remember,
3: before we roll into the details and all, let's just remind everyone of the new website. To be to be visiting and sharing, promoting, letting everyone know that you now want to go to filmstudyravens.com instead of the old site for all of Ken's uh, writings and all these podcasts. So share that, spread the word, and uh, help us grow filmstudyravens.com. All right. Thanks, Josh. All right. You want to? Uh, I guess the story of all going into this game, the whole story was Lamar Jackson. At least, at least the the overwhelming big pop culture story going into it. I know, I know you two and you guys love the O line play, and I know you guys are excited about Ben Powers. But the average fan, it's all about Lamar Jackson and what and what he's going to play like this season, and will he grow?
5: Right. Well, it's it's true. I think even O-line fans like Ivan, I would probably agree that the Ravens are going to rise or fall with Lamar Jackson this year. And if he has a big year, they'll be they'll be fine. And, I, you know, I just love everything I have seen so far in terms of maturation, in terms of his uh, field awareness in terms of what we saw in the first game of a willingness not to run the ball. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, you know, just definitely there's been progression in multiple areas. And I think he spent his offseason very well.
4: You can see his, his progression um, just on one simple play, the the pass to Chris Moore. You see him look at I don't recall which tight end was in the game and then check off to Chris Moore and actually throw a good ball where Chris Moore could catch and run. So his progression, you know, from last year is shown just in that little bit right there. We're talking about that yeah. very first boot of the game on the second, first or second play. I think they might have had a two-yard loss on a run. Then they
5: then they had the boot right, and and it was he didn't take the first level; he went to the second yeah, level, right? Yeah, more, he's yeah.
4: more got maybe twenty or so yards on it. Mm-hmm. He now pulled out tight end and went on next read. Clearly, he was told not to run for
3: preseason week one.
5: Yeah. It it looked like that. And and he he was asked not to run. And I think obviously that creates some additional stress situations for him to have to figure out something across the pocket. I thought one of the really impressive throws of the game was the another throw to Chris Moore that went for pass interference. He went all the way across the field and he Mm -hmm. must have seen something. And the defender obviously had to commit pass interference to keep him from catching the ball. So that's good. But, uh, you know, normally you don't want a quarterback to make that throw, but I think he actually was throwing it to an open spot.
4: Right. That was a difficult throw, and he threw it fairly accurate. Fairly accurate.
5: All right. Well, I mean, another topic that's, that's going on, and we, we can talk about the Ravens, and we're going to get back to the individual efforts for the, for the players here. But uh, it, hard knocks, we can't have a show without basically talking <laughs> about that and the Raiders. The producers have just got to be – absolutely falling over themselves laughing with all of the Antonio Brown antics.
4: He is really a diva. Uh, you know, they're one episode in and he flew in on the balloon <laughs> and um, now he has these prehistoric feet that he's working with <laughs> on top of the Yeah. gate. So everybody has an opinion about um, AB and I think he's a weird dude. And if you didn't know he was weird by his haircuts, you're really starting to see his weirdness now. I kind of felt sorry for him a little bit when the stuff came out about how Ben used to kind of do the guys, but with him pulling these things, all that, uh, sympathy for him just kind of goes away because he's he's bringing unwanted attention to the team, but very much wanted attention via HBO. Yeah,
5: there you go. And I, you know, I, I certainly hope Hollywood doesn't have any of this in him, but, uh, uh, you know, hopefully it's not a, not a distant family, uh, thing That's there right. that he's inherited in some way anyway uh I, the the best meme i saw about it was one actually i don't know if this is, is is technically a meme but this comment on twitter i saw about it was that he threatened to retire because the chef at the raiders facility had refused to cut his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches diagonally instead of straight across <laughs> <laughs> anyway lots of uh lots of funny stuff Anyway, Ivan, I before we get into everything, wh- wh- why don't we mention right now up front where do they find your uh, your, your YouTube channel so they can watch all your offensive line analysis?
4: Uh, YouTube it's Sip the tally, and just go on YouTube, type that in Sip the number two tally um, Mississippi to tally. That's that's kind of my little mantra. And uh, on Twitter it's uh, Coach avis Nine, and I, I post a lot of stuff on there and that would take you to my YouTube page also. All right. Great stuff. And I've watched the videos before. Well worth it. You know, he goes
5: back and forth on a lot of these. There's a lot of instructional component in there and it's just great whether you're a coach or just a fan of offensive line play. So I highly recommend them. I want to talk about one particular hit before we get into the OL for this game, though, that I think really had an impact on the game. And we saw obviously Kenny Young take the huge shot to Minshew's chest. I almost thought it was going to be a penalty just because of the bounce of that helmet. Uh, but you can really see he he went at him heads up, hit him square in the middle of the chest, dropped him back on one of the biggest hits we've seen by a Raven player since Bart Scott took down Ben in 2006. Mm-hmm. But it was a very impressive hit. What was
4: now, I'm sorry, go ahead. Now, what I was going to say was as as vicious as that hit was, Minshew was kind of sort of off guard because he fumbled with the ball. So by the time mm-hmm. he picked it up, you know, he mm-hmm. was nothing he could do. So had he saw it coming, he maybe wouldn't have looked as vicious, but it was definitely a uh, crowd pleaser. I think I jumped off the off the chair when I saw it because I didn't see it live. And um, it was one of those things that I kind of wish had happened about five or six years ago when he was torching us when he was a sophomore in high school.
5: <laughs> <laughs> did not realize he was down from that wave. That's interesting. Yes. Um. Anyway. One thing really struck me about that. The Ravens at that point, I didn't really notice this until later when I was charting the game for the offense and for the, for the individual play by play stuff, but uh, for the offensive line, actually, but they had had one unblocked blitz before that play on 10 passes. Okay. Now what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the Jaguars had run one unblocked blitz. Now let's talk about that a little, because To scheme for pressure in that way in a preseason game is a little unusual. So one out of 10, that's not too unusual. Why is it unusual? Because coaches don't like to show everything they've got in the playbook in the preseason. They really want to keep you guessing. They don't want to have you advance scouting their blitzes before the season starts. And, you know, they want to run them in their own walkthroughs and practices and obviously get used to them there. What we saw on the next 23 plays after the hit, were six more attempts to rush the quarterback with a schemed blitz. And I, all of them were attempts and successful attempts, unfortunately, uh, to slip through to the quarterback either off the slot, from a linebacker, from safety. Uh, and they were very effective at doing it. And, and part of me says that was a retribution for that Minshew hit.
4: Normally, I think it's an unwritten rule that you don't show all your exotics during preseason for the uh, aforementioned reasons that you stated. But um, something had to happen to, to where it'd be like, okay, since you're doing that, this is the game we're playing. So, and that's mm-hmm. what I think was retaliation for it. Almost like uh, in baseball, when, you, you know, you hit your guy and then the other team hits the guy and then we just have a back and forth. So yeah. I think that's, you know, I agree with you. That's kind of what happened. And um, as an unwritten rule, you, you don't really throw the kitchen sink at guys in, in preseason. For one, you want to, you know have the the gentleman rule of not getting people hurt but you also don't want to expose yourself to to people getting a book on you early in the year now unless mm-hmm. you got uh a ample amount of exotics you can show that I meaning that's different but then that's a lot of learning to do too yeah
5: yeah all right i mean it's, it was just one of those plays Anyway, let's get to to some of the stuff that I know we're we're just dying to talk about. That's this Ravens offensive line performance in this game, which I think overall was not terrible, but it certainly had its ups and downs uh, across the line in terms of what was going on. One of the things I like to do with preseason games is look at the order of entry of the players because I think that gives you a really good true reading on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. So we had it. They started at left tackle with Stanley, left Gulf guard going across, Illuminor, Scura, Hurst, and Brown. Now, Yon had in place. a so Hurst was in his place. Illuminor got the start at left guard, which is, of course, the most hotly contested position. I don't think anybody's questioning about who's going to be starting the season at left tackle, center, right guard, or right tackle right now. There are All some right. people who think maybe Scura should not be it, but I don't agree with that. I think that that's uh, fairly silly at this point but but anyway the left guard is the position where there's some question about who will start. Illuminar got the chance in this first game and he'd been running with the ones mm-hmm. during practice a fair amount. Now, as I scored his game it wasn't particularly good. I've got to tell you I went through play by play. There's some there's some functional things I didn't like, but he only scored a 0. 0.66 on my on my scale, which is an, a high F at mm-hmm. left guard. So uh, kind of a bummer of a game here, and he, and he's missing a fairly big opportunity.
4: Right, he he, uh, he has a, a grand opportunity, especially with um, Lewis being traded and um, uh, Young and not playing. So now he he's going to get a multi He's going to get Hearst's reps, and he's going to get the reps that Lewis would have got on top of um, being in front of Powers. So he has. He, it looks like it's his position to almost lose him and Hearst, but um I don't think with, with the 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 way he showed uh, Thursday, it's going to happen. He has to improve. I don't know if it's uh, not knowing what the players are running or the guy was just physically beating him. Uh, I'm sure he knows the the scheme because he's been there a while. So Mm -hmm. he just got to make the most of the opportunity and and definitely do it before Powell starts to gain knowledge of the system. Because I think Powell's (laughs) sitting in waiting in the weeds, just learning, 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 hopefully learning from yonder. And, you know, once he gets in that spot, it might be hard to see them. We'll get, back, we'll get back to Powers in a second,
5: but I did want to take you through the scoring on Illuminor here. Okay. Uh, he had 35 scored snaps as I had. It missed six blocks, uh, which is a lot for 35 snaps, particularly at guard. The, 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 you miss more blocks on the outside because it's harder to contribute on the backside of run plays as a tackle. Uh, but but as a guard, you really have an opportunity just about every play to, to make a block in, in, in the way that I score them. Made two blocks in level two and delivered one pancake. Those are good things. Connected on two or three pulls. That's OK. At guard, uh, maybe about 70 percent would be normal. Um, he had a nice, well-maintained block of good in level two, which was a solo highlight in this game. However, he also gave up parts of two pressures and he gave up a big quarterback hit on a stunt that I gave him two-thirds of the charge for. So when you get all through that, and it's 35 snaps only with the misses. Uh, it's 0. 66, and that's a high F at guard. 67 is actually what he would have needed to to get a D-. minus. Mm-hmm. Now, Not the end of the line for Illuminor. Certainly people have mulligan games uh, during a year, but the, the functional thing I don't see him doing well, and not nearly as well as Powers, is... He's a very big man, right. and he is not taking the time to lean
4: on his opponent the way that Powers did. Right. He he has to use that size to to basically to his advantage. Because uh, once he, he can if he can lock in with guys, he should have no problem putting them or uh, leveraging leveraging them where he wants them. But he's not doing a good job with his hips. Not doing a good job with his feet to getting in position to maintain blocks. So do you think he's – well, let me ask you this. He played tackle pretty much
5: exclusively last year. I'm not saying he didn't play some guard in practice, but his in-season reps were at tackle, 19 snaps at the end of the Carolina game. Then he played the whole Pittsburgh game. He actually played pretty well at tackle. Mm-hmm. But, but now moving back to guard again, obviously he's, he's had time to practice, so it shouldn't be like he's in a poor spot. But he almost looks like a tackle playing guard
4: to me now because he likes to keep people at arm's
5: length rather than get to the body.
4: I can agree with that. His um, the way he's blocking on runs is almost like he's just leveraging guys out of out of holes instead of moving them out of the holes. And that tackle you can kind of kind of do that with as wide as the ends are. But it, it I, I can agree exactly what you're saying. He looks like a, a tackle trying to learn how to play guard again. So maybe that will be the reason he gets mulligan and and we you know well they the coaches give him a, a chance to try it again. But um he it needs to happen quick. <laughs> Yeah,
5: I, I agree. I mean, there's there's so many players for them to try out that there's going to be pressure for them to move on. And I did already talk to people who were at camp the last couple of days, and he's still running with the ones as of Saturday. So uh-huh. that's uh, that's an indication he'll probably end up starting against Green Bay on Thursday. So we'll uh, we'll see if that changes. Now, we, we did want to go on and talk a little bit about Powers, who I I was very impressed with. I thought he had a terrific game. Uh, as I give I'll, we'll start with my scoring if that's, that's okay. Fine. That's fine. 29 plays, 27 blocks, only two missed. Uh, one was on that urban stretch left and another where he moved to L2 and didn't make an effective block. But uh, anyway, 0. 0.93 per play didn't have any pass blocking mistakes. And uh, or no, none that resulted in in a problem anyway. Uh, it's an A without adjustment, and given the the level of players he was playing in that second half, there wouldn't be a reason to adjust because the adjustments are made for the amount above the replacement level of the competition primarily. And he didn't really he he was playing replacement level competition or even maybe a a little cut lower.
4: Right, I agree. He from the when I realized he was in the game and then I kind of honed in on him. I didn't I didn't see him make a mistake. I didn't see him overpower anybody either i just saw him do his job and you know whatever the run if the run was off him he you know he sealed the guy and and opening gaps and if it was a pass play he kind of held his own i think i saw one play where he was getting bull rushed a little bit and he he dropped his anchor and that bull rush stopped almost immediately and um you know i was impressed because there there was nothing to see that stood out so anytime you have a lineman that pretty much is invisible. I think that's good for him or good for the line as a whole. But definitely in this case, because I was playing for jobs, that was good for him, for him to be invisible and not have a standout moment. Yeah, no news is good news.
5: There's one other thing that I noticed about Powers, and this was very evident also from the game that I looked at from his college play against Texas, is that – he really took his time in this game. I'd love you to go back and take a look at this, per- particularly, Ivan. Is, is how he leaned on his opponents and he maintained those blocks to the whistle. Because mm-hmm. he's a guy that gets people angry. Whereas Illuminor is very distinct stylistically, he tries to push people away and pinball that opposing defensive tackle or defensive end rather than, than try and, uh, you know, stick him on the body, but powers very much leans on him. And I know we had some disagreement among the four of us. In, and I think I, am not sure where you were on this, but we had some disagreement with the four of us. If, if he was going to be able to maintain a um, uh, good technique at the pro level, which would, mm-hmm. which would uh, keep his anchor as good as it had been in college or whether he was beating lesser opponents. Right. Now, I, this was I I saw some of the good things we saw in college, and I didn't really see any of the bad things that were pointed out by either Cole or um, uh, or by Michael Crawford on
4: uh-huh. our panel discussion. Now, I watched a game. Well, I watched a bunch of games with Powers because obviously I did the, the breakdown on him. But I, I talked to somebody recently uh, going back to one of those clips where because, you know, that he played with uh, Cody Ford mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I think they had two other draft picks on that, that line also. But the play I stopped it on, Cody Ford was in the end zone laying on somebody. Powers had a guy like two yards deep, like basically suplexing him. And um, the other two guys were basically, you know, all of them were blocking past the whistle. It's like everybody else was stopped. Those four guys plus the center was still playing. Mm-hmm. So he he has that, or whoever the O-line coach is at Oklahoma is, has really put that in their mentality to play through the whistle to not stop until you're almost pulled off a guy and that mm-hmm. that'll help you know down the line for him because he has that nastiness in him yeah
5: I, you know we always hear that there's nothing more tiring than rough, rushing the passer so <laughs> the, it's the defensive player who typically gets more tired than anything that offensive lineman can do to wear that guy out by leaning on him you know we you see that with boxers sometimes mm-hmm. and Ali in the in his heyday would have a have a boxer. If I remember in the Foreman fight, in fact, that, that he would have mm-hmm. a boxer under his arm for a while just to tire him out. and so Yeah. Uh, really. Floyd,
4: Floyd pulls those kind of stunts also. Uh,
5: okay. Floyd Mayweather, we're talking yes. about. Now. Okay. All right. Uh, anything else to say about Powers before we move on?
4: I just think by that stretch run of the season, he's going to be that guy. All right. Would you? <laughs> now they didn't give it to
5: they didn't give it to Brown right away. Would you be moving up and moving on, given all the players they have to try out, given the fact that they may want to go back to Hurst, given the fact that maybe even Bozeman needs to get a shot if Powers can't do it against some of the top players? Would you would you give him the shot this week, or would you wait another week and let Illuminor figure it out?
4: I would give Illuminor, Bozeman, and Hurst the shot before Powers. Because he, I, in my opinion, with Powers being a rookie, if he's equal to or right up one of those three guys, I go ahead and play him. Because he's the youngest and he he he'll, he still has a ceiling. You know they may be close to their ceiling, but if, uh-huh. he, if he's equal to or right up under their level after giving those guys a shot, I go ahead and put him in there. That's why I say for that stretch run, he, I think he's going to be the guy. All
5: right, so that's that speaks to something similar than for what was done with Orlando Brown last year in mm-hmm. terms of waiting. We need to do it. All right, can't argue with that too much. All right, well let's see what else we got that we want to talk about on the offensive line. I guess the, the use of both. Position. Yeah. So we had Bozeman and Macari switching that off. And uh, one of the things that's interesting about Makari is that he's taking all of the shotgun seven on seven snaps in camp. Mm-hmm. Now, some of that maybe they just want Bozeman and Skura both to participate in maybe O-line drills that are occurring at the same time those seven on sevens are occurring. But Makari has a very consistent shotgun snap. And I, I'm I'm thinking he'd be a useful guy to have around on the practice squad and maybe a guy that you know if you trust the shotgun snaps coming regularly from somebody like that maybe you do put him in uh if you have an injury down the line
4: now if um if he's just only taking those seven on seven steps snaps i don't think that's a good look for him i think they're just using him to for the quarterback to get a look Mm -hmm. to go through progressions and and kind of time things up so if he's not down there in the in the run blocking part of the of the practice i don't think that bodes well for McCarr.
5: Okay. That's a good point. So he, they certainly gave him a long trial in this game mm-hmm. and, he, and he, I didn't think he played poorly, although I got to admit, I did not score him individually. So the only thing I had to go back on is that I didn't have a pressure recorded on my notes from mm-hmm. what he did. I didn't have one for Bozeman either for that matter. But, uh, uh anyway, I, 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 would agree with you that if they're only using him in that, it's like having a camp
4: arm. Right. In center. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I agree 100 percent. Now, a lot of those guys I didn't see um, to give up much as a whole. I think they played fairly well as a whole. Yeah, they 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 really did. And uh, the pressures
5: come in three different ways. And, And the Ravens did not have good ample time space in this game. Let me start with that. They only got 11 out of 33 ample time and space. McSorley was the most affected. But as we mentioned earlier, a lot of that was these unblocked scheme blitzes where they had seven of those. So once you get back to that, now we're back at a reasonable level of ample time and space, had they not been going crazy on the Ravens offensive <laughs> line trying to hurt our quarterback, darn it. And get the hit back. There you go. There you go. So w- one other guy I want to talk about who got in a very extensive trial is uh Gregory sanat mm-hmm. So second year player out of Wagner, of course, and he's really what I consider to be one of the first picks of the DaCosta era, because it's Ozzy's last year, but those last two picks were Sanat and uh, Sealer, mm-hmm. and they were both small school picks. And we know DaCosta's really the the architect of that small school scouting uh, group they have, and really asks them to do more at small schools. And finding Sanat, obviously, was, a, was a, a pretty nice hit for them, if it works out as well as it did in this game. Now, people are going to
4: remember him, for having the hold in call that called back Boykin's touchdown. Mm-hmm. I think he he's in the the catbird seat for the backup tackle at you know at both spots because mm-hmm. when you look at the guys behind him that were well, basically according to your chart uh, Prince and Applefield those guys didn't show me much. Um, I saw Prince maybe miss some, miss a, a couple run blocks or, and also get some pressure. And um, well, give up some pressure, and not necessarily give up a close to a sack, but a guy just basically went around. him and we threw the ball, so it wouldn't probably be counted as a pressure under your um stats. But those other guys behind uh, Sonat, unless they bring somebody in, I think he's going to be the backup to both tackles almost by default. Yeah, unless he, com- unless he screws it up. Yeah, completely
5: agree. And the, and the the two other guys they have on the team. Luminar played tackle last year and played tackle pretty well, mm-hmm. but he's he's been playing guard again this year. He could be the backup tackle again. Yeah. He could be the, the, the second or he, he could be the first or the second. And then Hurst, of course, has a lot of experience at tackle, and most of it is bad, honestly. Sure. Uh, last year he was okay at right tackle early on, and I think if they're going to try him on either side, I don't think I'd want to take the risk with a rookie left guard being the helper for him, I'd rather have him at right tackle where Yanda can bail him out the way he did early last year mm-hmm. before Brown came on. Uh, but Senad, I, w- I just want to go back him for him for a second. His overall grade was a C in this game, but if you take out that holding penalty, which is saying like if I take out this arrow through the heart, uh, <laughs> you know he, he has basically a A minus a- game uh, otherwise. So it I was a it was a game that I was excited about. He shed, he's more athletic than the typical left tackle, even though he's built pretty much like Ronnie Stanley, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's almost as athletic as him. And, you know, Stanley's a first round pick, right. so we wouldn't accept that. So, uh, I, you know, I was, I was happy to see him get out in space. He made a really nice seal block on the, that nine yard cutback by Hill. Remember yeah. how, how quickly he made that cutback. And, mm-hmm. and that was Sanat's nice
4: block setting that up. So, uh, uh, you know, that was, that was one of his good blocks of the day anyway. Yeah, he like I said, it's his it's his job to well not his job to lose, but his position to lose because he can be that that backup. And if you know if they don't want to have the same person backing up, you know both tackles, he could be one of those backups. So if they decide to move um, Hurst or, or Luminor back to tackle, you know and be a backup guy, that that could be him. Mm-hmm. But he's on that borderline. He got he got to stay consistent. Got to stay consistent.
5: Right. I I agree. Should get should get a fair number of snaps, I would think, the rest of this preseason uh, with where he is positioned on the roster. We may see a little bit of a luminor at tackle. I I, I don't know what your feeling about that is, but it seems to make sense to me that they wouldn't just play him at guard if they Mm -hmm. might have to move him back into a swing role.
4: If if they don't. And, you know, this may be one of the reasons they're playing him here early, because if he can't pick it up, they can go ahead and be done with that experiment, moving back to tackle as a backup. So that may be one of the reasons he's getting those those snaps early, so they can they won't waste that like seasonal time, you know, on this experiment. They can do these first two preseason games. Where either he gets it or he don't, and then moving to moving back to tackle. If yeah. he doesn't get going.
5: That's a great point. I hadn't really thought of that, but that that makes a lot of sense. That you would you would order it exactly that way. I I bet that went into the thinking. Yeah. Alrighty, so let's see if there's anything else on the offensive line. I want. To, I think we're good on that. Why don't we go through to some of the individual performances from this game? Because you know, the Ravens' offense and at wide receiver, at running back, whatever, has some very exciting <laughs> players now again.
4: Right. Especially uh, Boykins. Especially Boykins.
5: All right. So let's talk about Boykin first. Wait, wait, tell me what you saw first, and I'll chime in with some other stuff.
4: Um, and I, I took I took a few notes on on Boykin the other day when I did a live stream, and he had. I put down he had two and a half drops, and the reason I said a half drop because he had a, a toe touch that he was trying to get his feet down and he didn't catch it. So I, I kind of, to me, that was a half drop because he had other things going on, and the ball was was kind of outside anyway. But the fact that they came back to him and he did some good things really, really impressed me. His uh his touchdown where he just ran past a guy, which and when I watched it in slow motion, the the defender didn't necessarily jam him. But when Boykins took off, he didn't turn and run with him. So I'm guessing he's faster than the DB thought he was, which which uh, leads back to his forty time. When I watched him, the few times I watched him in college, he didn't look fast. But for that de- defender to be standing flat footed and thinking he could just turn and run with him, and the way he ran by the guy, that that that, that impressed me
5: great measurables at the combine I I would agree with you that play was one of them where they where they really showed up and you know it's we always talk about the defensive back jamming the wide receiver but isn't it also true sometimes where there's a big size differential and not a huge speed differential between the receiver and the DB covering him that you often get a reverse jamming experience where the the offensive player can take the defender off his ability to easily cover that route with that first contact
4: He he's the aggressor he's, he's the aggressor and get the defender off balance and then by the time the defender recovers he just he's gone if yeah. especially if their speed is close to the same so I, I definitely you know see that with a lot of big receivers and if they know if if they're big and can run they use that in, in their in their toolbox
5: so we, we, we saw that, and that, that was wonderful. I thought the other play I really liked was the stretch for the marker. And it was, this, you know, they needed seven yards, and that was a strength and size first down there, and, and a lot underrated a strength first down to get to mm-hmm. that marker. It's it's one of those places where his measurables were on display in this mm-hmm. game for that. Also, some of the problems with the drops, as you mentioned. I didn't think he, he did a great job of using his body to box out in the game. He did it once well, he did it a couple times, not as well. The other thing I didn't like about about his game was the failing to convert to a defender quickly on the interception by Hayes. It was mm-hmm. right in front of him. He had a chance to strip that strip that guy, but he still had his arms up for the ball. wasn't really anticipating the interception the way he could have to get that strip.
4: Yeah, that that will, that's one thing he's going to have to to change. You know, definitely if he wants fifty fifty balls, because uh, they're going to have to trust him to either you catch it or you knock it down or nobody catches it. But um, as that's and that's to me that's the only like negative other than the two drops that i saw But the the my favorite catch of his was the slant and mm-hmm. the fact that he 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 got in and out of his break and he used that big body to get between the defender and you know he made a body catch which i'm not a fan of but the fact that he had he, he had enough space between the defender and the ball I, I i like that because it's it's gonna be hard to to take a, your left arm and wrap around with the right arm that big body yeah so i was impressed with that
5: yeah, there you go, and it's uh, that's exactly what that defender would have to do to stop a slant. That's not easy. Uh, otherwise, it's on the quarterback to really anticipate if a linebacker is undercutting that route, or if the or if a, a out, outside linebacker in particular is dropping to coverage and, and, and getting there. Exactly. All right. Uh, let's see. Was there anything else about him? I love the, the the catch on the sideline. Also, we really haven't talked about that. He, he fought his way out of bounds after that 24 yard catch. And for them, it's, it's a tribute to both McSorley and Boykin, because I think all the throws went to Boykin in that four play sequence or three play sequence. But he caught a ball for 24. Then he caught a ball. He caught the touchdown for 17 that got that got come back, and he caught a slant right before that for the seven. So it was three balls to to him in that
4: in that very very quick drive at the end of the half. But I'm sorry, go ahead. He definitely put me on the believing train. I was I was skeptical at first, but I see potential in him, and I you know I see a lot of potential in him. And definitely he cleaned up uh those drops. But as a rookie, he's probably gonna have that, especially when he play in, in some stadiums that he you know. Just He's going to be in awe of or play against some guys that, you know, he's played against, played with on Madden or whatnot. So I, I, he'll have some drops. But I think, you know, if he has less than eight drops in the season and plays a significant amount of snaps, I'd be good with that. Yeah, that's that's right. He should be in a position to catch a lot of balls. And I, 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 he'll be uh, – Crabtree
5: had a lot of drops, but he Crabtree also had a ton of contested catches because he, he doesn't have the athletic advantages anymore over the right. other DBs. But Boykin has those, and he's going to mm-hmm. be open a lot. Yep. Now, They went to him 10 times in that first half, which is an extraordinary number of targets, including the one penalty that got called back. It was like nine official targets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do
4: you see him as a guy who's going to get 120, 125 targets this year? No, I do not. Uh, The reason I say that because of uh, our tight ends and Hollywood Brown and um, Willie Snead. That's what that's I don't think he's going to get that many targets because we have a plethora of guys that can catch the ball. And we don't have one stud that's going to demand the ball. That's
5: uh, that's actually a very nice thing to have is some, uh, some ability to spread that around. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that should help the Ravens run offense as well to have a bunch of guys that are dangerous in space and get that box spread out a little bit because it was tight last year. <laughs> they had a whole city in a box. Yeah. There you go. Um, I, I Uh, We don't have to talk about that. It's uh, it's too tangential. But uh, let's get on. Talk a little bit about Kenneth Dixon here in terms Mm of uh, of uh, his. Playing there. Now, Dixon's in his fourth year and he's on the margin of the roster. And the unfortunate facts of economics in the NFL are when you're in your fourth year, you're going to be a free agent at the end of the year. The team owns nothing about your future except for the potential for a compensatory draft pick. I think we'd agree that Dixon is not the sort of player who would fit in, likely fit into the compensatory formula. Mm-hmm. So he's a guy who really has to make it on his own talent this year. And if somebody is equivalent to him or even a little bit behind who's a younger player, they probably get his spot.
4: Yeah. Um my thing with Kenneth is if we keep four, he's still on the bubble. And if we keep three, definitely he's gone. Right. Even though he, he he changed his body some and he looks, you know, a little bit faster than he did when he caught the um ball in the playoff game and got ran down. He um he looks athletic, even more athletic. He's lost a little weight. But if, you know, four, he's on the bubble, three, he's cut, definitely. Mm -hmm. So if one of the things we've been talking about in recent
5: weeks is whether or not the Ravens were going to keep a fullback. So Dixon and Patrick Ricard's future may be intertwined there. And and Ricard having the extra year of uh, team control makes him a more attractive asset, quite possibly.
4: So uh, I think Ricard's versatility is going to keep him on the team. And now, you know, if, if it's up to those two, they'll keep Ricard, with, you know, because he could play the fullback position and he just had a monster game playing defense. So he play. sure did, didn't he? That was that was
5: cool as anything. I thought the other thing that was a good indication on Ricard uh, was that they're using him in a lot of different starting positions in those first four, five or six plays of the game. They, mm-hmm. they, they split him out. They ran him as a receiver. They motioned him into the backfield, which is just having a pulling guard come in uh, freight train basically coming into the backfield. Right. So he, even Boyle's a big
4: guy, but Ricard mm-hmm. is so much bigger and so much nastier that, uh, boy, you love that. I did a, a video about Roman's offense when he was with the 49ers, the year they went to the Bowl also. And, uh, Ricard was the guy that came to mind because Roman had a lot of fullback stuff in there. And I was thinking we didn't have that body on the team. Uh, but Ricard is the guy that could make that work because that, that fullback in the video, he did a lot of pulling. He did a lot of, um, Catching balls in the flats, and he did a lot of isolation stuff. When um, I can't think who the who the tailback was that year for the Frank Gore you know, maybe. Frank Gore, the Frank Gore did a lot. He did a lot of running behind the fullback, and I can see Ricard playing that role because I, you know, unless he has a, a full preseason like he did the other night, uh he's not going to get many snaps with D line because we fully kind of loaded right there. So there his got. role would be like a backup D lineman and full time fullback because we with with what Roman did at San Francisco. I, you know we're going to need a guy that can do that, and you know with our tight ends. Okay. So the only tight end that probably could do it is Boyle.
5: Boyle. Okay. We have a we have a group of listeners I think would love to see that video. So why don't you send me the link to that? And I'll make sure when I promo this this uh, show that mm-hmm. we get out there with it and people can take a look at that video.
4: Okay. We'll
5: do. All right. Well, let's m- move on. Talk a little bit about another player I thought was very exciting, Justice Hill
4: in this game. Yes. Why don't you start? Uh, his burst is, is way better than I thought. <laughs> I knew it was fast, but that guy, they got eight angles up. Um, he, 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 I'm excited. I'm excited to see, I'm excited for the Ravens to pound with Gus and Ingram and to give him a stretch play or to throw him a screen out the backfield for him to get a check down. <laughs> that guy's fast. And he's, he's not only fast on the track, he's fast with the ball in his hand. Get
5: him get him out in space. I love he eats up angles. Tell, tell the listeners what you mean by that. Just to explain
4: it a little bit. OK, as far as eating up angles uh, one play in particular, I don't remember when it was. He got the ball. He was in the flats. And there were two guys in pursuit of him that had what we would call in football terms, the angle. So meaning if you run at a certain angle, no matter how fast they're going, you should meet them at a certain point where well, those guys took off at angles. And by the time they got to where they should meet, they were chasing. They were behind the uh, heel. so that, that's what I mean. He, he's they misjudged his speed because he was so fast that when they got to the perceived meeting point, they were behind, so they had to turn and run up the field. So that that's eating up the angle. All right, all right, that's great. That 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 play on the sideline was minus
5: three plus plus seventeen, I think, or minus three plus twenty, whichever it was. It was think like a fourteen-yard gain, uh, just an outrageous outrunning of that linebacker and then a mm-hmm. cutback to beat the defensive back who who misjudged things. That was great. You know what I also loved? He had a, a straight-ahead play where the cornerback came in off the edge, kind of like Ed Reed used to do, went low to his legs for an arm tackle. He ran right through that thing. Left yes. the leg and and right through it for a six-yard gain. So I like to have a little bit of downhill ability from him, too, because it can't always be going to the outside. But then, that said, I love what he's going to bring to this team on any kind of jet action. Uh, you know, that really should loosen up the box and keep the defense honest.
4: All right, definitely uh- – any stretch plays, he he can do that. If we if we're a good enough team to, to run the stretch, but you just you just think of you tackling Ingram the whole game, you're tackling Gus the whole game, and then they throw this lightning rod in there for a play or two. <laughs> wow, I, I I'm, I'm so excited to 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 just to see what what Roman has in store for him because this this offense is is so you know it could be so complex, it could be so complex with all the pieces we got. And again, I like the fact that we don't have a guy that has to get the ball. That, that's what makes it deadly. Yeah, so you got three tight ends, and they can all help you
5: as receivers in mm-hmm. different ways. You got three running backs, they can all carry the ball. You, you got now the two probably most exciting rookie wide receivers the teams had. You know, maybe ever. Ever. Yeah. Is it, you'd at least have to go back to Travis Taylor or maybe Demetrius Williams or Mark Clayton, maybe if you really want to get aggressive about it, to find more exciting rookie receivers than this. I mean, obviously, Perriman didn't get on the field and show anything as a rookie. He could have been as exciting, but uh, but you know, those other guys didn't end up panning out. But they but they were exciting as rookies.
4: Are these the um Are these the highest we've picked receivers?
5: So I'd have to go back and check that. Demetrius Williams, I think, was a four. Uh, Mark Clayton was a one. Travis Taylor was a one. Clayton was picked 22 overall, I believe. Travis Taylor, I believe, was number 10 overall in 2000. Uh, So they've had a few guys. Patrick Johnson in 1999 or 98, whichever year they drafted him, was also a two.
4: So they've they've used a few high-round picks. But I think these these two will be the most exciting, simply because of Hollywood speed. And um, he doesn't even have to catch a lot of balls. Mm-hmm. He just needs two attempts down the seam or outside to keep guys out of the box, and then that run game will be uh, pretty pretty deadly.
5: Mm-hmm. Yep, I can't I can't wait to see him on the field. It's just uh, I don't th- I imagine he's not going to play against Green Bay, but who knows? We'll uh, we'll hope. Okay, let's go to Trace McSorley because obviously I didn't know what to expect from this guy, and he's been doing a lot in camp. They've been using him as a as a gunner coverage. Once I saw. I assume he's been used as a gunner also, that I have not observed that. So they've used him in a bunch of different ways, but he's just in a in a straight quarterback role here, more like Lamar Jackson of last year, where Lamar Jackson of this year is being
4: asked not to run. That same constraint didn't seem to be on McSorley. I, I like Trace as a third-string quarterback. I don't like him as a gadget guy. He's not big enough, you know, and I, I don't think he's big. He's not big enough as Taysom Hill. And I really realized how big Taysom was the other day when the Saints were on NFL Network. Taysom is—he's is, a linebacker playing quarterback. And if we ask McSorley to do those type of things, that little body's not going to hold up to, to NFL pressure. But what he did—I I like what he did in the preseason game. Stood in the pocket, delivered it. And when um, you know things broke down, he he got out and used his legs. And he did have one—I think he had the interception when he stared the guy down. Mm-hmm. But I like the fact that he stood there and delivered the ball and tried to play quarterback and not be uh, a- athletic quarterback. He was a quarterback that was an athlete.
5: Yeah, that was I was impressed by that and how he got rid of the ball under pressure because as I mentioned, they only had seven out of out of uh, twenty two. I, I think it's eleven out of thirty three overall, but only seven out of twenty two while. ATS Walmart sorely was in a quarterback, mm-hmm. and that included five of those unblocked pressures. So uh, he really took the brunt of the hit on Minshew retribution, if you want to call it that. <laughs> right. The other thing I liked was that he ran the no huddle well. Yes. And, you know, he got up there, up to the line of scrimmage quickly, plays called, boom, boom, he threw. He threw outside the numbers fairly effectively. You know, not everyone. He he I thought he should have been flagged for uh intentional grounding on the one play where he threw the ball. 30 yards over everybody directly from the pocket. Right. But he, he also threw well outside the numbers. And obviously that was a problem with Jackson last year, uh, you know, in terms of accuracy there. But he was right on the sideline on those throws. One to Scott, one to Boykin, the pass interference call on uh, Floyd down the right sideline. Those are <laughs> all McSorley.
4: So good throws. Hey, he did a really good job of, like I said, standing there delivering the ball and playing the quarterback position. And didn't look like a gadget guy to me. All right. All right. Do you think the Ravens are likely to keep three quarterbacks? I think no. I think he will be a um, practice squad guy, and um, hopefully nobody comes claiming him. All right. I'm I'd be a little well, depends on that thumb. Depends on how well that thumb is. RG3s. And um, I you know, and if he doesn't, not, I just think he's gonna be a practice squad guy. We we okay. kept three last year, did we not? We let's see. I have to think about that. Yes. And when when uh, RG3,
5: Flacco and, and Lamar, of course, we're all on the same team at the same time. Is it is, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about with with the injury to RG3, you hate to use your IRDTR designations and you no longer have to designate them in advance. But you still have to use them when they come off IR. Mm-hmm. Would this be something where you'd leave RG3? on IR until he's needed. Now, you, you can't bring him off before, I think, week nine. Mm-hmm. And then hope it works out with Lamar, or you work through it with McSorley if it doesn't. And then you bring RG3 off
4: at that point if you need it. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. Or or you can IR McSorley for a, a toe injury. There you go. And then bring him back if you if you, if you lose <laughs> one of those two. Exactly. So I, I didn't think about that, but that's a that's a great point. That's part of that stash um, that the Ravens have been so so well known for.
5: <laughs> it just seems with their depth this year, they're probably going to have some of that happening at various positions. But let's move on though. Let's, let's talk about. I'm sorry. Wait. What's
3: your let's cut? take a uh, let's take a quick break right here because one of you guys' mics is is acting up. So let's fix that mic and then we'll come right back. All right, we're back. We got the mic stuff straightened out. So let's just, guys, let's just jump straight back into it to Chris Moore, another guy that we're waiting to see, like, is he a real sustainable receiver?
5: Sure. Well, I'll start on Chris. Uh, as a fourth-year player, again, a guy who has to be fighting for his job, although he has a lot of positives going on, being one of the Ravens' best special teams players. And also, the thing he has shown to me so far, last year, obviously, and then, and then in the game uh, Thursday night, is a, a terrific
4: catch radius. He's the guy who can go get it wherever you throw it, even if it's off target. I agree. His his catch rate is is, is good, especially to go along with the speed that he has. He's great on uh, goal routes. He's great on post routes. He's great on that that long over route that he got the pass interference for. I do have a problem with his intermediate routes, though. Uh, okay. Last year, he he would like – let's just take a dig, for instance, a uh, deep end, uh, 10 and in. He would uh, get his 10 yards, but instead of cutting that at like 8 or 9 and then cutting across that 10 – he end up at like twelve or thirteen, which would bring the safety down. His routes were, were he would drift in his routes, so to speak, and that mm-hmm. gave the DBs a uh, potential to knock the ball down or undercut it. And that's why I said um, I didn't think Chris would, was a great receiver, but he's great in certain routes. And if he and he could have improved in those routes, I just hadn't saw him. I haven't seen him make those mm-hmm. routes in the, the preseason game, and I haven't been vivid uh, to much uh, camp video, so. If that was one of the things he was bad at last year, I'm not saying he's bad at it right now because I haven't seen you know enough him, but if he gets to be a better route runner on short to- intermediate routes he can he's definitely gonna be on the, on our team to uh you know maybe even one of the starters he he doesn't
5: have the same kind of big body that boykin has or that you know some of the really large receivers have any of the tight ends for that matter Mm -hmm. in terms of being able to be that slant guy but i guess one question i have is if you have a guy who's known as a lazy route runner or a little bit of an a inaccurate or half step route runner is is more a guy who you could convert with the proper coaching to run that hitch so that the back always know the back shoulder throw is there because if he's a guy who you fear on a deep route he Mm -hmm. can be the guy you fear on the hitch route as well on the sideline Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, that that normally goes hand in hand with guys that can run. They have DBs that normally want to play off of them because they don't want to get beat deep. So the hitch is is their um, counter to you know to the deep routes. So definitely I can see him being a, being a hitch guy, especially if he's on a, a single receiver side and they don't want to give up a deep ball on a slant or a post or, or even a go like that. Okay, so, so on the single side, less likely to have the safety
5: on his side of the field, then mm-hmm. more likely be playing a guy on an island over there. Okay, gotcha. All right, Uh, wonderful. Anything else about about the? We I think we talked about some other Moore's other plays earlier. So why don't we just move on here? Jaleel Scott, another receiver. And boy, what an odd preseason game. We're talking about so many (laughs) Ravens
4: receivers. How cool is this? (laughs) But he was he got what? I won't say garbage time, but I didn't really see Scott much when the game kind of mattered. Even though I know all of them out there. Go
5: ahead. I can tell you exactly when he came in because Maureen keeps this wonderful chart for us during the preseason Mm -hmm. of all the offensive players by drives and substitution. So he came in on the first drive of Q3 as a substitution. And then
4: I'll have his number of snaps for you here in a moment. But what did you see? I saw um, a guy that's learning how to use his body. He's learning how to to high point balls, um, a willing blocker. And he's a guy that's, you know, getting getting to be a better player. I don't know if time's going to allow him to get to where he needs to be to make the team. So does that make sense? So he's an improving player and getting yeah. better at parts of the game he needs to to succeed, but I don't know if time's gonna allow him the, the time he needs to progress. Well he's been he's been one of the really big stories of
5: camp, and the Ravens have basically veteran alternatives to what he can provide them on the outside. So right. they've got Floyd. Who I'm not sure how much the team likes him. And and by the way, Floyd came in even later in the no, same drive. He came in the same drive of, of the game as, as Scott did. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the other one is is Roberts. Now Roberts is higher on the depth chart, uh, but he got hurt in this first game. And and you know, he's a guy I think the Ravens really need him to work on the outside given the stable of slot ponies they otherwise have. On their roster, you know they've got some smaller receivers. You got Justice Hill. You may want to break out into the slot. You got other options for the slot, but you they really
4: need guys who can who can play on the outside and play big. You know, Roberts was a a slag for Oakland. Yes. Yeah, he was. You know, when he came, I thought he was a clone of Chris Moore. Yeah, there
5: you go. But he's a six-two guy, and he really should be a guy who we'd be able to to expect to play on the outside. But you're right; he, had a, he has a slot background in Oakland, and, and that's not. You mentioned the block by Scott, but he he really had a great block down the left sideline on the 21-yard run by who was it? Turner mm-hmm. down that left sideline. But he he pushed over a
4: defensive back and must have added about eight yards to that play with that block. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Turner also. But any receivers that block, they they that flows my boat. Because when I was just a receivers coach, my motto was no block, no rock. So, <laughs> and, 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 and I'm, I'm serious. If you could talk to any of those guys, those young guys I coach, they they would know if they didn't block on run plays, I was not calling players for them to get the ball. Not. There you go.
5: No block, no rock. I love it. That will come up again on our show, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now, we. We probably need to hit on the Corey Vedvik story after what's happened here Uh, and exciting news that uh, Corey Vedvik goes for a fifth round pick. I know there had been talk around the Internet that maybe he'd draw a first or a second or this kind of thing. The fifth round pick is the most that's ever been exchanged for a kicker in I think it's at least 30 years in the NFL. It might have been 1997 I'm sorry, 1994 was the last time. I guess that's 25 years uh, that, that Moore was exchanged for a kicker. Uh, there was, a, uh, I'm forgetting the name, so I won't even try. But, but anyway, Vedvik, uh, 12 out of 13, made a kick of 56 and 55 in two years of kicking for us. Couldn't be
4: more happy for him. Couldn't even be more happy, except that the amount I'm happy for the Ravens. I'm very happy about that. I, I talked about this on this on my live stream the other day, that this was the ultimate stash. Because and the reason I say that, because obviously he got attacked or whatever happened to him last year. But we never saw a black eye. We never saw a, a swollen ankle. He disappeared after that. So, you know, me being a comp- conspiracy theorist, did was that, you know, was that an ultimate stage? So we so this would happen. But whoever orchestrated this is, is I think uh, DeCosta, you, you're awesome. You got a fifth. You got a fifth round pick for a kicker.
5: So it's a it's a great price for the kicker. But just just I don't think there was a conspiracy going on. I really do think this happened and there was a police report and there are other things going on. So I think there's there's enough evidence that it really did happen. But but it was there's a much better
3: ways to hide someone than to come up with an assault.
5: <laughs> you got to get a lot more people involved in the conspiracy to do that. Keep the it conspiracy small. Make- right. All right. Now, we, at this point in the show, we usually go through the offensive MVPs and I, I, I go three to one on mine. And, and you can play along, uh, Ivan, and, and tell me who your number three guy was.
4: Um, my number three guy and I'm bringing off the cusp is. I'm going to say Powell's. I'll say Powell's and mainly because he's one of the guys I, I've been I've been wanting to see play. And, um, you know, I didn't see much of him because, you know, he did his job and when you do your job you like we talked about earlier you're kind of invisible. All right, my my number 3 guy is Boykin. I while I think he played a good game, I
5: think it was more about what we saw of the upside he could have and you know what he flashed in terms of potential in this game as opposed to actual results from it. So, while I gave him a plus 2 in my in my grading, which would would say he took the biggest jump of anybody, uh, he he really only is the the third MVP of this game. Still very good though.
4: Agreed, and um, I'll bump. Go ahead and start with number two. My number two will be But right? simply because of you know he showed the ability to bounce back and not let those early drops like keep him down. He came in and made plays even though he had an interception call back. He basically did his job on that on that play. Uh, the slant, like I said, I was impressed with earlier, and you know his overall effort, you know, just to go out there and show that you know he can play because you know a lot of people did not really like the pick, you know, me being one of them, but he's. He's, he has changed my mind, and he's going out there doing his job. And at, with 10 targets, they're really you know, trying to see, hey, can you play for us, and, and can you play right now?
5: Yeah, it's definitely exciting to see him be that much a focus of the offense. My number two guy is Powers. And I'll just say that the, the one point I want to reinforce from earlier is that I really love the idea of having another lineman who will lean on the opposing defensive line and get them tired. The Ravens should dominate snap count again if their offense is as good as it appears to be and if their defense continues to play smart rotational football and be as effective as they were under Martindale or anywhere really near as effective as they were under Martindale last year. And if that's the case, then it's going to really matter that opposing linemen are tired.
4: Can i ask you a question about Powers. Does he display that same trait from uh, Orlando with them playing both at Oklahoma? Both of them kind of got that same coaching mentality? Because I know Orlando leans on guys, so yeah. You know, two two of the five guys could potentially be from Oklahoma. Yeah. Or, I mean, I'm not sure if it's based on Oklahoma. And, and we had heard from the
5: past that Orlando Brown was a guy who his father had gotten on him a little bit for not being an aggressive enough, physical enough player, not using his size as well. Mm-hmm. Powers, I think he's just a nasty son of a bitch. So he's he's just a, he's done a really good job. I think he is maybe in a different class in terms of how much he leans on an opponent. But but Brown is getting better at using his size. He certainly, uh, you know, has displayed athleticism that we didn't know existed. I think last year, Would you would agree, right? Mm-hmm. I definitely agree.
4: Who's your number one guy? Justin Seal. All right. He is my number one guy. Um, his burst, his his ability to be a fast football player and not just fast on the 40, really, you know, and I knew he was fast because i watched the game between uh, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma because, you know, three of our guy, our rookies were in that game. And he showed burst in that game too. But for the, to have that transfer to the NFL um, with a little added poundage on him, I'm really excited about what he can do uh, as a change of pace back. All right, that's a that's a great pick. I'm going to give it
5: to Chris Moore because of what he did for the offense in general—a 30-yard catch, an 18-yard catch, and a 17-yard pass interference play. From his own personal perspective, I think he answered a lot of the questions and is now very likely to make this team. I would have said it was 90% before.
4: Now I think it's very close to 100 after this mm-hmm. game uh, game one. I agree. I, I think he's a lock and potentially a, a, a starter now. All right, Josh, how are we doing in the mailbag? Yeah, let's get to the mailbag a little bit. Your chance to get involved
3: with the show and steer the show. Uh, You can leave your questions on Twitter using the hashtag FilmStudyMailbag, and I'll find them there. Or comment over on uh, FilmStudyRavens.com, and I will pull them from there. Uh, First one up, we're going to go with Bart, who is wondering, what do you handicap as Sanat's chances at making the team?
5: Okay, I'm going to give a shot. I'll give you a, give you a chance to think about it, Ivan. Um, I'm going to go with maybe about 65% right now. And and a lot of it comes down to whether or not they're going to keep eight or nine linemen, which is a function in general of depth across the roster. Now, the guy I think may actually be make trouble for Sanat uh, isn't really one of the other offensive linemen. I think they could go with a surprise cut. I think the guy who could who could make it difficult for him to make the roster is if they really believe a player like Ricard can be an emergency offensive lineman. And what that would do for the Ravens is allow them uh to have a six to make five situation on a Sunday if they really wanted to get one other active guy. It's a dangerous move, but it was one they could do if they could if they could decide they could move Ricard in onto the line, whether at tackle or guard. In such a situation, obviously it wouldn't be optimal, but it, uh, in in most likelihood, he's he's competing with people like Illuminor and like Hearst. So if Illuminor bombs out, I think, you know, so not certainly on the team. Hearst is a guy who they actually have a small salary cap savings from cutting him. So if they suddenly decide that Hearst is just not getting it done, the salary cap savings isn't much. But if they want to keep Sinat, they want to keep Sinat. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to put him on the practice squad. You keep him and you, and you drop Hearst.
4: And I, I, I'm going to handicap it at 50-50 based off what you just said. If we keep eight, I think he's out. If we keep nine, he's the guy. And, um, you know, if we can save money and if, if Hurst, like same thing with Illumino, if Hurst is not um, way better than Powers or or, or even better yet Bozeman because he's been at, you know, competition at guard also, um, they get rid of They get rid of him and save the money what he can because, you know, he's interested in saving money toward next year. I'm really impressed with what the cost is doing financially. Mm-hmm. All right. Um,
3: well, let's there with that with Greg who's wondering if any of the uh, possible starters at left guard did any of them play well considering the running game struggles?
5: You know, I, I, I I'm on record that Powers played well and Illuminor did not. And those are most of the guys who played at left guard during the game. So they only had uh, what a little bit of five snaps or whatever with Isaiah Williams right. at the end of the game otherwise. So, yeah, Powers played well, Illuminor not from my point of view. You, anything different on?
4: No, I agree with you 100%. Uh, Powers
5: was invisible. Illuminor was visible. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and, of course, Powers, you're not planning to be a starter, so the answer would be no as far as is there
4: any possible starters that played well?
5: Oh, I think it's possible that Powers wins a starting job. You Certainly at some that, this it?
4: year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I agree also. I think – only reason he doesn't start is to give those guys a chance to concretely win that job, but I think they're going to be pushing for him to start kind of like what Brown did last year. All right. Uh, Mr. Ed is
3: wondering which of the running backs is best suited for pass protection?
4: You know, that's I, one of the – sorry, go ahead, Ivan. You go first. I think it's uh, Mark Ingram because, you know, he did it a lot uh, with Drew Brees last year. He was, he was it. And, um, you know, he doesn't mind sticking his nose in there and picking up blisters. I've seen him do it uh, a number of times, um, and I just, I just think he's the best one for it. Now, Gus is not bad, but I just think Mark is the, is the better one for a pass pro. Right. And Gus is Gus not bad, but he's going to be more
5: of a running down guy. So among the other three backs, you have Justice Hill, who's a smaller guy. I don't really know him as a pass blocker yet, but you got to really be a Danny Woodhead, attack the body kind of uh, pass blocker to be a good pass blocker at that at his size mm-hmm. it's very hard to do ken dixon it's a big problem he's not a good pass blocker at all look bad in this game as a pass blocker even when i think he did the right thing to go for a cut block he missed it pretty badly and he's someone that that, that his roster spots in jeopardy in part because he's not really a good pass blocker despite the fact
4: he could give you something as a receiver on those third downs true true but as a pass blocker he he's he, he didn't have much in him last year also
3: all right. Uh, Marquise Brown, when are we going to get to see a little bit out of Hollywood? Well,
5: he's, in, he's been in practice as of Saturday, 11 on 11. That's a fantastic sign. Every step of the way, he's been ahead of the curve. He passed his conditioning test earlier and he was and he was on the field doing some stuff. And now he's now he's you know done his first 11 on 11 activity. That's very good to see. I, I predict he will be in at some point during the preseason. I don't expect it to be this week, but maybe next week is is his first game. I think he plays in a dress rehearsal, which is a uh, game three. All right. that That's exciting.
3: Game three means he's ready for the season, right? Yeah, I think so. All right. All right let's close out the mailbag with Mark, uh, who gets in here and is just basically setting this question up just for a transition for me. So Ken isn't with RSR anymore. Mind telling us if we can find your work somewhere new?
5: yes by all means you can it's at film study ravens on twitter and filmstudyravens.com uh as the website so uh we have the uh articles there the podcast there and uh also ability to comment and interact and and uh set up for any responses that'll occur on the podcast
3: yeah great growing site that gives the freedom to find to do everything film study and if you just type "Film Study Ravens" into Google or any of your like computers, it always pops up with either your Twitter handle or the blog post or something to get to find your content.
5: Now, you you also you don't mention this all the time, but w- what's the easiest way to find the podcast itself? Is it to go through the Film Study Ravens, or would you any? All to- uh, right, real easy. And uh, if you
3: use an iPhone, check out the podcast app. If you use Android, check out Google Play. You just type in "Film Study." a lot of fa- the favorite of a lot of people that's new so we haven't even really promoted it is spotify if mm-hmm. you a spotify subscriber you can just type film study in there and we'll pop up now you might get some podcast suggestions of like uh, movie and uh mm-hmm. filmmaking stuff but if you just type film study we're on the list if you type film study ravens top of the list OK, Ravens good. were taught. We're like under the Ravens official podcast. So really easy to find in any podcast app you use. Do you, do you want to talk about three thirty six? Anything going on over there? I mean, it's it's every week we got new three, three, six episodes coming out and we're talking Orioles and even through the struggles. Uh, I did launch a, in the beginning of July three, three, six daily, which is little five to ten minute daily episodes that come out every morning. A weekday morning, So I'd love it if you subscribe to 336 Daily when you're going on those podcast apps as well as subscribing to Film Study.
4: Okay, sounds good. And, and Ivan, what projects do you have going on on your YouTube channel now? I'm really just working on the uh, the vlogs for preseason because I don't want to use any of the, the TV tape to get those strikes. So most okay. of my, my video uh, study would be me just talking about it. Or uh, me doing a live discussing what happened during the game, and I also added the call-in section to my show. So when I'm when I'm live, there'll be the number scrolling with the telephone number and access code, and I have callers calling in talking about um the game and just talking about what they saw, or what they want to see, or actually my opinion, my opinion on different things. Oh, that's, that's very do cool. A, do you have a scheduled time that you go live all the time? Not right now. I don't because uh um, right. actually I'm a, I am a real high school coach, so. Um, my time is, is fluctuating, but I normally try to, like, if I know I'm going to do it that night, I try to put something out throughout the day to, to let people know, hey, I'm going to go live at such and such time. But I don't right, have a set spot yet.
3: All right. So follow Ivan on Twitter at
4: CoachEvans9. Correct? That's correct. That, Coach Evans that right? 9 on, on Twitter. And um, on YouTube, it's uh, Sip the Tally Films, uh, S-I-P, the number two, T-A-L-L-Y, Films. All right. I, and the Ravens got, somehow
3: got a great preseason schedule where this week they play the Packers on Thursday, but it's in Baltimore. Very little travel this preseason. So I'm sure, Ken, you'll be breaking down the same type of articles that we have listed up on the site now for these games. And we'll probably talk on Friday to break down the Packers game.
5: Yes, we will. And that's uh, looking forward to it. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you fo- about football. We'd love to have you on again this preseason, since I think the offensive line is really the hot topic for the Ravens here. But uh, just in general, we'd love having. you. Okay, I'm, I'm happy to be here.
1: That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.
0: This is the story of the
3: one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears